Welcome to EEN Moms Talk. We are going to explore how we are called to care for God's creation, what that looks like for modern moms, and how we can make better choices to protect our kids from environmental harms. Now on to today's episode. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to EEN Moms Talk. I am your hostess, Beth Bond, Director of Women's Ministries for the Evangelical Environmental Network. Today we have our inaugural kickoff podcast. So what better way to, to kick off than to talk to the president of the Evangelical Environmental Network, Mitch Hescock. The Reverend Mitchell Hescock serves as the president and CEO of EEN and speaks nationally on creation care, especially on the environmental life-threatening impact on the poor and defenseless. Reverend Hescock co-authored Creation Care, the Evangelical's Guide to Climate Change and a Healthy Environment with Paul Douglas, published numerous articles, and he has testified before Congress, appeared on CNN, NPR, PRI, and numerous radio programs, both Christian and secular. Named one of the 10 environmental religious saints in the Huffington Post, Mitch led the 300-mile creation care walk from West Virginia to Washington, D.C., and the 80-mile Gulf Coast prayer walk during the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Mitch led EEN to successful championing of the mercury and air toxic standards rules. Prior to joining EEN, Mitch pastored a local church for 18 years, and before the call to ordain ministry served as the coal and utility industry as director fuel systems for Alice Mineral. The most important thing about Mitch is he's married to his lovely bride, Claire, and has four grown children and four grandchildren. Welcome, Mitch. Thank you, Beth. It's good to be on the show with you today. We know that podcasting is is very popular, and it's a great way to have a deep conversation. So let's just start off right where we need to, which is who is the Evangelical Environmental Network? Well, the Evangelical Environmental Network has been around since 1993, and we believe that we're the largest group of evangelicals that really try to educate the evangelical church on that creation care is an act of discipleship, it's an act of life, and we turn that education into advocacy so we can get good policies to protect our children's health and adults' health, primarily in the United States, but also around the world. So 1993 sort of feels like a long time ago, right? And sort of exciting that, you know, the Evangelical Environmental Network has been around that long. Why it was founded back in the 90s? Well, I think it was founded, it was founded as part of the National Religious Partnership for the Environment. And the, the NRPE, as it's called, has four sort of wings or partners. One is uh, a Catholic part, one is sort of a mainline Protestant part, and there's a Jewish part, and obviously EEN being the evangelical part, and that's our mission. And it really was created um, from the wisdom of trying to help churches to understand that the earth belongs to God and to help people in different faith traditions, but for us um, to really understand that you really can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ unless you really take care of what God owns. And that's all of creation. And so that's why it is so important for us to be engaged in these matters, that it's a, not a liberal issue. It's a Christian issue. It's an, a way of respecting, being in tune with Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's taking care for his earth. And that's what's so important about it. So let's talk a little bit about the term creation care, because in the secular community, we may hear environmentalism, we may hear sustainability. 
and although creation care has been around for at least 15 years, it still is not something that's really readily on the tips of people's tongues in Christian evangelical churches. So what, what is creation care? Well, it's, it's real simple. You know, I believe very strongly that uh, what Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created. You know, in a restatement of that in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And through the Word, all things were created. So our job as creation care people is to take care of this wonderful earth, including us, that God created. I believe it's a very special part of discipleship. You know, we are commanded throughout scriptures that God owns this earth, not us. You know, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, I just quoted the passage from John's gospel, and in Colossians it says that the whole world was created by, for, and through Jesus Christ. It's not ours. It's God's. And as such, we were pointed to, to be stewards, to be caretakers of God's creation. In fact, you know, probably one of the most misguided interpretations in the Bible is where it talks about in Genesis that uh, man was given dominion over the earth. Well, that concept of dominion is just terrible because we think dominion is, you know, lording over it, having power over it, use it as we want to. But if you really research the Bible part of it, nothing to do with sort of having destruction or, you know, beating the earth up. It's about caring for it. It's about stewarding for it. In fact, the word that's used in Hebrew to say that dominion is the same word that's used later on in the Bible of how Israel's kings were supposed to care for the people of Israel. The same image that we get from as Jesus as being shepherds, being caretakers, being people that just really guide people to do the right thing and to do things with the right motives behind it. And, and so that's what we do in creation care is to help people see that God calls us to steward this earth, to care for it so it can continue to provide us with the things that we need for life, to have pristine air and to clean water, make sure we don't contaminate the ground, give the earth a fever, a whole lot of things that, you know, really impact health and children's health in general. And that's, I think, for EEN, um, our sort of tagline is creation care is a matter of life. Because I've come to understand, and we as a ministry have come to understand, that what we do to God's creation really comes back and terribly threatens and impacts the health of people, especially children, both born and unborn. And that's something that's very, it's a passion of mine is to protect our preborn children and to stop them from being, having brain damage or lung damage or early births because of the things that we put into the earth that aren't supposed to be there. So I could talk forever because I'm very passionate about protecting children's health. And, uh, but that's sort of what creation care is. Well, and that's one of the sort of the challenges, right? Sometimes when you start having this conversation, church people will say, oh, well, I'm not a tree hugger or, oh, you know, you're putting nature over humans. And I think that it's important for people to remember that the most important creation God created was us as humans. And so I really appreciate the conversation of, of making sure that humans are part of that creation care conversation. 
Well, and I think that's really what it's all about is that, you know, in Genesis chapter one, you know, starting 28, 29, 30, God created a sustainable world. He gave us the plants and animals for our basic food stores, told us to care for it, to shepherd it. You know, a little later on in Genesis, he, God gives us permission to eat meat, but do it sustainably. In fact, one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible regarding caring for the earth is in Isaiah chapter 24. And it says, human beings destroy the earth because they don't follow God's commandments. And when I'm oftentimes talking at churches or in Christian colleges, you know, I sort of jokingly say, but it's very true, is that unfortunately, so many times Christians have missed some aspects that are in the Bible. In the books of Leviticus and Numbers, you know, as I say, the two favorite books that everybody reads daily, which is a joke. But, you know, it talks about crop rotation, animal husbandry, the basic things of how we're supposed to live sustainably. And I define sustainably as living in tune with God, in tune with God's creation for the world so that it can reproduce itself, that it can be sustainable, that it can be provided there for God's people you know, all around the world. And right now we're just not doing that. Nine million people a year die as a minimum of pollution across the world. And the vast majority of that is air pollution and then followed up by water pollution. So we can do a much better job of caring for God's creation and protecting human life because you're exactly right. You know, at the end of creation, God said when he saw humanity, he said it was very good. Not just good, but very good. But that gives us a special place in God's heart, but also a special responsibility to act for God in caring for this world and in every other aspect he calls us to care about. Right, and I think we've done a really good job of already starting to talk on the biblical basis for caring for God's creation. And, you know, we provided a list of Bible verses on the blog, on the website that helps creation care. But for ministers who might want to preach about this, how how can we lift and support them who are, you know, like, I want to talk about this, but I'm struggling with what I need to say to my congregation? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we do at EEN is once a month we put out some sermon notes, some sort of guides, some topics for pastors and people that want to lead a Bible study to do it to, is to really to understand how to get into preaching and teaching about creation care. Even before that, you know, I'd like to share a little bit about some thoughts of my friend, uh, Dr. Chris Wright. Many evangelicals in the world uh, remember Langham Partnership that John Stott's ministry that he began eons ago, or he, you know, he and Billy Graham started the Lausanne movement back in 1970. But Chris Wright, who now runs Langham Partnership and was tutored under John Stott, is a great Old Testament professor. And he wrote this wonderful treatise called The Mission of God. And I like what he says. He says that, you know, how do you expect to have a really solid relationship with God unless you care for what God owns. And think about that for a second. I mean, I talk to about churches all the time. If you borrowed your next door neighbor's car and immediately took it out and were not careful and you know, not saying that accidents don't happen, but if you were abusive to that car, 
and returned it back to your neighbor, your neighbor wouldn't be very happy with you. In fact, you'd probably start a neighborhood sort of battle or discussion. Your relationship would be broken. And I believe that's really what happens when our relationship with God can be broken if we abuse God's creation and don't take care of it. And what I find in churches is people really haven't gotten that message that, you know, it hasn't been a strong teaching of the church for many of its times that, you know, that the earth is the Lord's and that we are called to be good stewards, to be caretakers of it. And I think turning that around and helping people to see that, you know, it's simply a matter, I think, of biblical ignorance in the sense of the true word of just unknowing. You know, I've told the story in my book, and um, I'm sure I know I was teaching to a men's Bible study down in Harrisonburg, Virginia, a few years ago. And I was talking about that passage from Colossians that I referenced earlier that says in Colossians chapter 1 where that the whole earth was made by, for, and through Jesus Christ. And I talked about Jesus' ownership of the earth and why we're supposed to care for it and how come it should be a priority to the church. And after I did my teaching, I sat down at a table in one of uh, probably 40 tables in the room of men. And the first thing that happened was just so interesting. It was just a wonderful older gentleman. His exact words to me were, I've been reading the Bible my entire life. I have read that passage from Colossians, I don't know, hundreds of times. But this is the first time you've helped me to see that God owns this creation. And I think that's one of the things we'd encourage people to do is just start talking. What does it mean to care for what God made? What does it mean to care for what God owns? Not only the earth, but all of creation. How do we respect plants and animals and how they give us for food? How do we respect each other as a creation of God? And I think they are very intimately entwined with with who we are as disciples of Jesus, is the fact that we're created but we're created to be good stewards of the rest of creation and the relationship we have, not only with each other, but our relationship with God and us. That is so profound. And we just need to hear it over and over and over again. And I think one of the challenges is that sometimes we get so focused on being good disciples of Jesus Christ that we forget to talk about what that good discipleship mirrors, right? We talk about you need to be a good good disciple and you pray and this, that, and the other. But if we're going to be the reflection and salt and light of Jesus to others, whether they're people who are in our own church community, they're our neighbors, or even in the community abroad, are we just doing simple things that that look like we're reflecting the salt and light of Jesus? And when, you know, you're being, you know, wasteful in regards to our energy consumption or, you know, not that anybody, I think, litters anymore, but, you know, you know, I think our audience doesn't litter, but you know, what do all those things say about the way we respect God's creation? Yeah, absolutely. And yesterday and this week I spent a lot of time, um, I'm a board member of the National Association of Evangelicals, and every year the NAE hosts a student leadership conference where they invite students from Christian colleges across the nation to come and to Washington, D.C., and to, to hear from senators and immigration experts and health experts and, you know, a whole bunch of people to get them engaged in public policy. And what does it mean to be a Christian in public policy? And, and I had the honor of being with the, those students several times this week. And yesterday we were standing in a Senate office and 
one of the students asked me what my favorite Bible verse was. And when I thought about it, I said, well, I have a lot of favorites. But, you know, today what strikes me as we're here together is Ephesians 2.10. We are saved by grace to do the work set before us. And I think that's the, the great message of being a Christian. For me, being a Christian, you know, it's wonderful that our sins are forgiven. and We get to be reunited with God completely. But we're called primarily not to worry about getting into heaven, but to build God's kingdom here on earth. I, I ask people to think about the Lord's Prayer, which everybody prays and everybody knows. You know, in the first stance that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's sort of my message, my ministry, is while it will never be completely restored until Jesus returns, we're called to build his kingdom, to do the things that he wants us to do, to follow him, you know, to follow the risen Savior out into the world to make this place a better place as we wait for him to come back. And, and for me, that is so intimately tied to how we care about God's creation. Because when we pollute, when we use energy and wisely, as we continue to learn the deficiencies and the defects of fossil fuels, we are literally killing ourselves by not being good stewards. You know, one in three children in the United States have autism, asthma, ADHD, or severe allergies, all with links to petrochemicals and fossil fuels. You know, I talk about it, soot, you know, the, the real fine stuff that comes out of either fossil fuel power plants or out of the exhaust pipe of cars and especially diesel trucks, causes 15,000 children to be born early in the United States. And over a third of those die simply by tiny pieces of soot. The, the fancy name for it is PM 2.5. I think that's unconscionable. You know, leaking methane from, I live in Pennsylvania, where we're the second leading producer of natural gas in the country. We have enough fugitive gas leaking out of those wells that people that live within a half mile of them, babies are born with birth defects. There are literally 90% of the medical research papers that are out there point out that children who are born and live and whose mums are there through pregnancy have a disproportionate amount of low birth weight, of birth defects, of cancer showing up. And I think that's unconscionable. 300,000 kids in Pennsylvania go to school, grade school kids go to school every day within a half a mile of a natural gas drill site where they get exposed to not only the methane, but the benzene and toluene and cancer and chemicals that we all know have called cancer. And that's not right. What we want to do is we're not, you know, at least I'm not as the president of EN. I know that we're going to use natural gas in this country for a while. Hopefully we'll turn to clean energy. But while we're using it, let's do it as safe as possible. Let's seal up the leaks. Let's stop our kids from being exposed to these chemicals because we're killing ourselves. You know, I, and, and moms especially, you know, just to reach out to young women today that in the next 15 years, according to the National Cancer Institute, you know, breast cancer is going to go up between 30 and 40 percent. And they've determined it's not the age of women having children. It's not late menopause. The most conclusive link is the chemicals that we throw into the environment, especially the chemicals that mimic estrogen contained in a lot of plastics. The same estrogen-mimicking chemicals 
are causing in baby boys to have non-descending testicles and male genitalia being misformed. We are literally changing the DNA of the human race by the chemicals that we're putting into creation. And it's time to stop. It's time to make people aware of what we're doing and then work to overcome it. And that is an excellent place for us to stop and take a break. But thank you so much for that information because it's so important for people to understand there is a direct link by what we are doing to creation and the health of God's creation and humans. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode of EEN Moms Talk. If you want to engage more with us, you can follow us on Instagram at EEN Moms. You can follow us on Twitter at EEN underscore Moms. Or you can join our private Facebook group at EEN Moms. Just click to join and we approve you in the group. If you want to download our free Bible study, hop over to creationcare.org and you can download it there. We really believe community is the key to everything, so we hope you will make us part of yours. Now, back to our guest. But we are just so valuing the time that you are giving us today. The work of EEN is, we spend a lot of time talking about the education side of it, on the front side of the podcast, but we also have a very sort of active public role in regards to communicating with um, our elected officials, whether it's local, state, or national. A lot of people are really frustrated and they don't want to engage or they don't feel like they have the right words to engage. Tell people about the work we do in regards to the advocacy and why everyone should be contacting their their elected officials. Sure. Well, first off, I want to clear up a technical point that EEN doesn't do lobbying, but we do do advocacy. And there's a technical difference in that in the law that we want to make sure that we're legal and do the right thing. So we do advocacy as a group and as an organization. You know, it's important for us to have the right kind of policies. And what I like to tell Christians is that, in, you know, especially in our conservative community, there sometimes get to be a fear of big government, that, you know, government's going to tell us what to do. It's going to be, you know, they're going to control our lives. And so I think the first thing for Christians to realize, especially evangelicals and people like me, I'm a lifelong Republican, is I don't want the government to doing everything for me. So the first thing I want people to do is to learn what they can do on their own that they can you know, drive the, the vehicle that is most energy efficient for their family. You know, if they're just a couple or single person, you know, drive a, an all-electric car if you can, or at least a smaller car that gets great gas mileage. You know, if you're a mom and a soccer mom and you have three or four children and you need a minivan, use it. But don't get a Suburban if you need to have three people around. Drive and be efficient. Do what you can do. Insulate your homes. Buy food locally. You know, do the steps that can really engage you. If you can do it, what we do in Pennsylvania at iHouse, we buy uh, wind-generated electricity directly from a program called Pennsylvania Switch. And there are 16 states around the country where you can buy clean energy just by going on your computer. Or you can put your own solar cells up in your house. Well, one of the things that's really cool to do is for churches to start community gardens where they can grow food together for their community to to use it doing organic things and uh, foods and minimize the chemicals that are on it. And you can either use it for the church people or what we did when I was a pastor, we actually grew food and gave it away 
to the local food banks and community members that did it. So the first thing I want people to do is know that they can make a difference, that individual actions are so important, from driving cars to how we did it. And just let me tell another little story. A few years ago, I was out at Dort College and talking to the community in north central Iowa. And as I was speaking there at an evening presentation where the whole town came out, it was just a wonderful evening. A man came up to me and said, you're the first person that ever told me that I can make a difference on climate change and making this life better in the planet. And by the way, I grow 3,000 acres of corn. I'm going to change my farming practices to use less pesticides and less fertilizer and put in what's called ground cover, legumes and other things that actually put carbon back into the soil to be more healthy. So that's the number one thing is I want people to be engaged in their own actions. But let's face it, we live in a society, and we want to make sure the rules are fair for everyone. And that's why we do have to advocate for sound policies. And probably the the simplest way to explain it is that getting policies are like having good police officers to make sure everybody does something fairly. One of my, quite honestly, pet peeves is that coal-fired electricity costs, on average, in the United States, 13 cents a kilowatt more than you or I pay on our electric meter. And what I mean by that, there are costs that aren't charged. They're called external costs, the cost of pollution, the cost of driving down roads, of people's lives. And all of those costs we don't pay for as a consumer and neither does the company that do it. And so what I like to say is for years, we have been subsidizing the fossil fuel industry in the lives, the hearts, the lungs, and brains of our children. It's what you know economists would say is a free lunch. And quite honestly, we know there is no such thing as a free lunch. So for really good consumers, and even if we're good conservatives, We want to know the costs of things so that we can buy and choose properly. And so that's one of the reasons that, you know, we have advocated very strongly for a carbon fee to make sure that the the market knows all those costs. And I think that's really critical today in, in getting out of the way. In fact, in November, a big firm called Lazard came out with a study called The Levelized Cost of Energy. And really interesting, and that takes all the subsidies out, everything else out of it, makes it all on a level playing field. And in the United States today, utility-sized wind power is the cheapest way to generate electricity. Number two is utility-sized solar. Natural gas is third, hydro goes down further, and then coal and utilities are at the bottom of the list. But what's so interesting about that study was they literally said you could close down every coal-fired power plant in the nation no matter how old they are and substitute them build a new wind-fired power plant with the same generating capability capacity and the utilities would make more money we are quickly seeing a change in economies and i think that's what one of the fights is in the climate change and has really hurt our community is there have been a lot of economic interests that have pitching 
their side of the issue and looking to protect their industry. And when they do that, they really try to put fear into the American public. In fact, I equate it to the story of the Israelites going into the promised land where Moses sent out, you know, um, Caleb and Joshua and 10 other spies to go out and check out Cana. And they came back and, you know, Caleb and Joshua said, you know, we can do this with God's help. And everybody else got scared and complained that they're going to die and giants are going to kill them. And they wandered for 40 more years in the desert because they wouldn't trust in God. And what I'd like to say is that we're making so many really great great progress in how we're developing energy, how we're living more sustainably. So we need to quit worrying and living in the past, but to go forward and trust God. And I think fear sometimes gets in the way from us moving forward, especially when we hear and we change, because nobody likes to change. But the times are changing. We're going to be moving away from, you know, cars um, fueled by gasoline to electricity. You know, General Motors and Ford have all said that the time is coming where the combustion engine is going. It's probably be in the next decade. And there's going to be self-driving cars. And, and we just need to accept that those things are happening and to move forward and quit getting afraid of what some people are telling us so they can preserve their own interests because we are giving the earth a fever and it's really hurting our kids today here in the United States and even more impactful in the majority world. Which is sobering. And yet, you know, one of the things that I love about our work at EEN is we always talk about hope. Um, And we will get to that hope um, a little bit further on in the conversation. But I want to address, we work with evangelicals. And that's one of the things I'm passionate about is working with evangelicals. But unfortunately, evangelicals sort of have this reputation of not caring for God's creation or, you know, being anti-environment almost. And I just want you to discuss, you know, A, the fallacy in that, and B, why in some respects that is true. Well, you know, I think, you know, it is a a mixed answer. You know, for EEN, since I've come on board, we now have almost 4 million pro-life Christians who have taken action in support of God's creation, whether it's been reducing mercury or protecting our public lands, our national parks. So I think there's growing awareness in the whole community to do that, is to, we're rising up and we're seeing growth in it because people are becoming aware of the scriptures. And I think that's really part of it. But I think the biggest hindrance to our community, even getting more behind the issue of caring for God's creation is there's, you know, there's a fundamental concern in our community who are mainly conservative, not only in their, the way they view the Bible, but the way they look about life and government, you know, they think anybody that wants to deal with the environment or creation care is out worshiping creation and not the creator. You know, they see tree huggers as being more concerned about a tree than a human being. And I think basically what's happened is we're seeing that God's creation being lumped in with a whole lot of progressive values that people make a choice is that, you know, 
I'm pro-life, and I don't want to be pro-choice, and I want to be a Republican or a conservative, and I don't want to be a Democrat. And you can't care about God's creation, you know, unless you're a progressive. And certainly many progressives want to bundle all of these issues up together in one label. And I think that gets in the way of our community because then they see a bunch of really progressive folks standing up the environment. They get confused about lumping all the issues together instead of taking them apart one by one. And I think that has hurt our community from coming on board. And and what we want to help people to see is that, no, that there's a choice, that I'm pro-life. I believe in protecting the sanctity of life. But also I am a great champion of God's creation because, as I said earlier, we kill so many children because we don't take care of God's creation. So separating the issues, using our values, you know, and even politically, you know, probably one of the greatest conservationists of all time in the United States was Teddy Roosevelt, the real founder of our national park system and our national forests, and something called the Antiquities Act, which allowed presidents to designate federal lands for, for special protection as national monuments. And I think as we've gone through time, we've gotten mixed up. And we've let certain people's agendas confuse us what we're supposed to do as Christians. And I think if we separate those issues and make the issues available to people using our values and the things that are important to us as evangelicals, we will get more and more people on board to understand that creation care is an act of discipleship. And, you know, I just, I know that you are uh, a good, deep prayer, and and that's what my prayer is, is, is that our message will come through to our constituency and and our community of evangelicals and that the love and light that we are, you know, told over and over again in the New Testament will just shine through us and help us communicate that because it just breaks my heart when when I talk to moms and I hear about the struggles you're having because their child, you know, has ADHD or autism or severe allergies or asthma. Asthma seems to be so common now. Or they say, you know, my child suffers from three of these things. We didn't mean to pollute the earth. I mean, I don't ever think that people intentionally did it. It's just we didn't realize the consequences. And I think that's so true. And, and you know, we were blamed by Doctors White article back in 1971 uh, that said that evangelical Christians were responsible for the environmental problem because we took the issue of dominating the earth the wrong way. But I, th- I think that Francis Schaeffer, one of the real leaders and actually one of the spiritual heads behind the moral majority, wrote a book in 1971 called Pollution and the Death of Man. And you know he used the man language, and I know it should have been of humanity. But I think his message is very valid today. In fact, I urge people to read it. He is one of the greatest evangelical and actually probably more fundamentalist scholars of the 20th century, the late 20th century. And this book is really profound in how he just literally says some of the same things we've been talking to on the phone, is that it's God's creation, it's God's earth. We have a responsibility to steward it. And we've lost that part of who we are. And I think the more we come back, and that's one of the reasons I would urge people to really to get out into God's creation, to take a walk into it, you know, if you live in a city, to go to the city parks or to get outside of it. As if you're a, 
a rural person is, you know, get your hands dirty in your own garden. You know, look around what's happening in creation. See how plants are booming earlier and trees are coming out earlier and leaves are out and, you know, springs are lasting longer and falls are lasting longer and winters are just getting weird with good weather and bad weather and terrible storms. And if you get out and notice those things and just explore what God has created, you're much more apt to notice that things aren't the way they used to be. In fact, you know, I tell the story often of my dad. Uh, God bless, my dad is, uh, you know, 91 years old and um, was a former coal miner and got severely hurt at a mine accident, um, but has had a good life. And he loves the outdoors. And he, you know, we grew up uh, always having a great big family garden, and he loves to have apple trees and other fruit trees and you know, a couple of years ago, he was. We were sitting at our their kitchen table, my parents' kitchen table, and actually, my mom was in the hospital at a pretty difficult moment, but she made it through that. But my dad was sitting there at the table, said, "You know, we don't have the winters we used to have in Pennsylvania, and my trees are blooming earlier and staying later. And you know, this climate change business is really real, real, and I think we better do something about it." before it gets to be too late, before we really hurt too many people. And I often say if my dad, you know, a strong Christian, um, a former coal miner, can look outside and go for a walk outside and see how the earth is changing, if all of us would just open our eyes, if we would take our blinders out from a lot of the despicable advertising that's out there trying to instill in this fear, we'd really see what's happening in the earth. We'd really see how the earth is changing. And those changes hurt all sorts of other people. Like in the Northeast United States, and Pennsylvania is the hotspot of it, Lyme disease has spread 320%. They're talking about in the United States almost 400,000 cases of Lyme disease every year. In Pennsylvania, they're estimating over 40,000 cases why? Because there are more deer ticks running around because they don't get killed off by frost. Springs are warmer and last longer. Falls are longer. And if you've ever known a friend that has Lyme disease, it's terrible. If it's not diagnosed almost immediately, the treatments can be years in length. It can be debilitating. Uh, it can change your entire life. I have a friend of mine who's 16-year-old son was misdiagnosed for five years, and now they're paying $3,000 a month for special antibiotic treatments that are not covered by insurance to try to beat this disease. So those are the reasons we need to care about God's creation, to really be, to, to be lifted up and to know what we're doing is right, and to really live in tune with how God would have us live. Wow, Mitch, it's just so profound, and I just really want to thank you for your leadership and how you inspire us all to really meaningfully dig into not only the Word of God, but how we practice that in our lives and to care for His creation. And so uh, one of the sort of fun things that podcasters are doing is they're asking all their guests to say, you know, 
you know, they have a question that they ask, and I've heard it a lot of different ways. And so keeping in the, the frame of our conversation, I, I'm going to ask um, this question, and then I, I would love for you to close us out with a prayer of hope as we go out and we take care of God's creation. So what is your favorite thing that you do personally that may not seem, you know, it may seem a little quirky or interesting that you do to take care of God's creation? Hmm. Well, it probably changes on the time of the year, but I can tell you what I've been doing lately is for relaxation, I like to build things and use my hands. And so I was able to get my hands on a bunch of wood that was reclaimed. And so instead of taking that wood or burning it or throwing it in a landfill to decompose into methane and causing more problems, I took it apart and sanded it and planed it and cut it and turned it into a brand new desk, which I'm setting at right now and using. And then the second part of it, I turned into a a teddy bear chest for my year-old granddaughter. So, you know, reusing things is a really good way of doing it. You know, there's so much like beautiful old wood that's out there that can be reclaimed and restored and be reused. Um, And so that's just one thing that I do uh, very simply. It gives me a lot of pleasure and it's something good for God's creation. That's awesome. And that is, that is not only a a reuse, that is a rejoice, right? That, you can use that wood, and that will be a gift to your granddaughter forever. Absolutely. And, you know, there's the simple things we can do. And, you know, I think all of us can do all those kind of things. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the three R's are very true. It's, you know, is reduce, reuse, and recycle. And I like to do all three on a constant basis. And, again, it's just one other simple thing we can do. You know, one of the things, I, I sort of a, a simple idea just in closing out here today that, um, that we're going to start recommending for all of EEN's listeners and people is to quit using plastic drinking straws. We've come to realize that plastic drinking straws are one of the worst forms of plastic that end up getting dumped into our oceans. And if you don't know, we've literally made oceans of plastic, islands of plastic in the midst of our oceans, and they're impacting animals, and it's just all around bad for a whole lot of reasons. And plastic straws are one of them. So we're going to start a little campaign is for everybody to start, you know, using stainless steel reusable straws. And they're a great thing to do. We, we started using, doing that about um, a year ago in our family. And so it's just a, one other simple step that can have a very profound impact because there is a lot of hope. If we would just, you know, really follow Jesus. You know, Jesus said all things are possible. And I know that's possible. We can have a clean energy revolution that's going to clean up our air and clean up our water. But even more exciting to me is that the way we're developing renewable energy, that we can in the next decade, that every single person in the world will have access to electricity. And just imagine what that would be like for a child in remote India or Africa, or Brazil, to to get electricity from wind or solar so that they could, you know, be educated off the Internet. They could have electricity to power pumps for cleaner water. Um, They would have places to store medicines and lights to do surgery. You know, it's often called energy poverty, and we have a goal for the EN to turn energy 
into energy prosperity where everybody has access to clean, renewable energy that's at their disposal. And that's and that can happen and it is happening. That's all and that's that hope, right? That there's just so Absolutely. many examples of a hope. And 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 I and I always say, you know, the environmental message is doom and gloom and it's so depressing you don't ever want to get out of bed anymore and pull the cover up covers up of your head, but because we as evangelical Christians have the hope and light and love of Jesus in our heart that we can get up, and not only can we get up, we can take actions and be um, examples for other people, and that's where the hope really lies. Absolutely. You know, I often tell people when I go out is that you're right. There is too much doom and gloom in the world, and I would ask people just to go to their heart in a state of prayer. And let Jesus open themselves up to the possibilities of what could be if we would really become followers of Jesus to make this world more sustainable, to live in tune with how God created this place, this world, and just follow Jesus to to build his kingdom, um, to be what I like to say are Easter people. And that's my hope. I'm not giving up hope. You know, when Jesus come back, I would have greeted him with a smile on and say, look, um, because, you know, the ultimate goal of Christians in Revelation 21, at least, is that heaven comes to earth. And when, when Jesus comes down here, I want to see, know that I've done my job helping to keep this place sustainable and to keep our children healthy. And the only way we can do that is by caring for God's creation. So with that, I guess maybe it's time to pray. And uh, are you ready for me to pray, Beth? I'm ready. Let's pray then. Holy God, we just thank you that you have given us a great creation, a wonderful world, a beautiful place, and Lord, help us to take care of it, because everything that we do against your will not only breaks our relationship with you, but in some way hurts our kids. But Lord, there's a better way, and that's your way. And Lord, we just trust that you're going to fill us with your grace that you're going to forgive us of our mistakes of the past and lead us into a new day, into a new world, and living in your kingdom. So, Lord, I would ask that you would bless everyone out there, that together we could join together and really be part of your army, of your kingdom, making this place so wonderful, returning it to pure water and pure air, in just offering every child, every one of your children, not only an abundant spiritual life in you, but abundant physical life as we live in tune with your creation. Forgive us, bless us, guide us, and most importantly, dear Jesus, give us hope. We pray this in the name of the, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mitch. Thank you so much. This has been a blessed time together. Um, oh, and, we will, and we will um, look forward to having you back on as a guest a little bit down the road as we get into this podcast series. And, um, and we'll um, share all the good stuff that we're doing over at EEN on the website. All right. God bless. Take care, Beth. Just so you know, we really do have an amazing website with lots of resources. We've got a resources section actually on the website. So if you're looking for some of the books, you're looking for Mitch's book, or if you're looking for um, what we call sermon starters, if you're, um, and it's even, you don't have to be a pastor. 
maybe the sermon starter is something you take to your pastor and say, hey, you know, April's coming up. It's when we celebrate caring for God's earth, a.k.a. Earth Day, a.k.a. Earth Month. And so, um, you know, maybe this is something that can help you do it. I, I just think that we, you know, we need to be asking and we need to be encouraging and we need to be lifting. And you don't have to be pushy about it. And the message doesn't have to overtake. The passion doesn't have to overtake the message. So, you know, and if it's a no, it's a no. And But the seed has been planted. And I always use the, the idea of those mustard seeds. You know, mustard seeds are teeny tiny little seeds, but they grow up. They look wheat, look, look like weeds, actually, when they grow up. And they're about four feet high, and they're incredibly sturdy. And so I, I know why the example of the mustard seed was used over and over. So we're going to be signing out now. Um, we're going to try to do this every single week. So we've got lots of great guests lined up. Um, it is EE Mom Talk, and we're going to talk to lots and lots of moms. Thanks for listening to this episode of EEM Moms Talk. You'll be able to get more information on our website at creationcare.org, and we hope that you will like and subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes or your other favorite podcast player. 